I'd like you to open, first of all, to Deuteronomy chapter 32, towards the end of the book of Deuteronomy. You know, when you read the Bible every day or you read a portion of it every day, like I just finished reading Deuteronomy, which is what inspires a lot of things I'm thinking about, which is good. If you read the Bible and it inspires your thinking, you're thinking right. You're thinking good. God will give you something to think about, and he will make fertile your mind to think. Do you understand that? He will give you a direction to start thinking. He'll show you things. And if you keep the word before you, it will inspire you, not only as to what you need to do at some point in the day or with your life, but also in your relationship to God, or in my case, in your relationship with people, you know, ministering. Because I ask myself, as most ministers do, in your first message of the year, what will you say? What exciting thing will you come up with? Some new direction, some dream we aspire to, some hill to climb, some goal to reach. And you want to, you know, come out with something that's like a boom. It just, of course, with me, I seldom get that. But what I do, I look back over the year. Only time it's right to look back is when you have Ebenezer stones in your life or you're evaluating where you've been and you see some needs and you want to get those needs fixed and taken care of so we don't have to fail, fall, or stumble in the coming year. So I'm thinking along those lines, and I come across a verse like this that I want to read today in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 29. And I read a verse like this, and I realize that God has something to say to us as a watchman, as a minister in a church. Your call is to represent to the people the word of God. It is your responsibility to find out what it is as best you can. Now, we're all human. Sometimes we get distracted during the week ourselves, and we come short on a day like this. We shouldn't, but it happens. So as you read things like this and you pray and you, you know, I'm reading the book of Deuteronomy, like I said, I just finished it, but I get to a verse like this and I stop for a long time because I'm pondering, God's saying something because that's the way he speaks to me. I don't hear a voice. I hear his word on the inside of me challenging my thinking and my direction. And he said, oh, that they were wise, that they understood this. Now what he's talking about you had to read prior to this. But the law has been rehearsed in the book of Deuteronomy. Moses is reminding the people, before we cross over and go into this land that's given to us, which is still inhabited, but it's ours. We'll have to take it. You'll have to fight. It's going to cost you something, but you get it. They won't just flee because you walk in there. You'll have to run them off and leave none of them. Now, don't fail. Don't take this lightly and don't back off and don't look at your problems in front of you or the whatever you've got to face. And, oh, no, don't do that. God didn't say he'd make it easy. He didn't say he'd make it convenient. He just said he'll make it possible. And when you do things God's way, you'll be all right. But you've got to listen. You've got to pay attention. Why he said, oh, that they were wise, 
that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. My message, part one today, is seeing afar off. Now, we use that as a text, and we'll get to it again in a moment in 2 Peter 1. But seeing afar off, in other words, we look back to see where we've been, how we did, what we need to fix, tighten up, get strong in, or deal with, so we can go forward. But you cannot spiritually go forward. You cannot seek after what God has for you if, one, you don't know what it is, and if, two, you can't spiritually see it. If you do not know what you're after this morning, how can you find it? How would you know if what you found was what he had? If there's an aimless walk with any of us, we really don't know what we're looking for. But if we are looking for something, that something must be something that God has showed us to want. We have to have our eyes open, do we not? If we can't see where we're going, we won't ever know what we got. We're going, we're doing. Christians are always busy. Not necessarily with what God wants them to be busy with, but they're busy. He said, as one translator said, if they were wise in this verse, he said, if they were wise, his people, they would understand this. If they were wise, they would understand what I've just said. They would consider their latter end. If they were wise, if they had wisdom, they would not only know what's in front of them to be achieved, but they would pursue it. Because if you know what God wants and you do not pursue it, you would be labeled as foolish. Not wise, but foolish. A foolish man has his way of doing things differently than what God wants. A foolish man built his house on the sand. He could claim, well, at least I built a house. But that doesn't matter. If you didn't build it the way God wants you to build it, then you did it on your terms and not his. It's no good, unacceptable. In fact, God will see to it that the storms of life blow it over and then you're there hopeless. So we have a goal, a spiritual goal, to be like Christ. We know that. But we have a direction God wants each one of us to go. There's a pursuit in our life. The Bible says the wise, the wise will not only see it, but they will consider their end. If somebody were to ask me, if you died right now, where would you be in just a little bit? I'd be in heaven. I don't know all the details of what happens when it happens, but I know it's got to be good if you're in Christ. I don't know if you have to go. I don't know if you're processed or I don't know what happens, but I just know that there is hope for those who believe. It doesn't say there's hope for those who have ideas. It's hope for those who believe. So, again, our text here that we're talking about seeing afar off, he said, if my people were wise, they would understand what I've just said Moses is saying. Some of those things he said were not easy. They were pretty demanding. He said, if my people were wise, they would understand this, and they would consider their end. What do you have without this, all of us? What do we have without Christ? We just have church. We really have nothing. So we want to pursue that. 
Because we don't want to be one of those or those people who say, as we've all been aware of, I didn't know this was coming. Man, why didn't I pay attention when I had a chance? Oh, man. We find ourselves at some point, as we've seen others, probing in the ashes of failure and sifting through the moments of destruction and all because you did not pay attention and prepare yourself. None of us will be able to say, if only I had known this, because we all know it. We may not want to know it. We may forget it. We may let it just pass by and not hide this word in our heart or not hold fast to it, but you'll hear it. And while you may have forgotten it, God will not forget the moment we heard it and we'll know that day. Wisdom dictates that God has the end in his hand. And if you want to be where he wants you to be with the reward that he promises, you've got to go his way. That's a wise man. Well, what did he say about the two men that built a house? What did he say that parable was about? It's about hearing and doing. A wise man hears a word and he does it. And he's like this. So we don't want to be those that come up short and Tragic, and especially when we've been warned and then failed and have to deal with the consequences and, and wonder if you can ever regroup and I'm no longer good enough and I failed and I don't guess and I blah. We don't want to go through that. We want to keep our hands on the plow and go the direction God wants us to go. So I want you all to understand this year as we begin this year, a simple message is looking at the warnings that God has given us, warnings that cause people to fail fall, or quit. And we don't want, I don't want that to happen to anybody here. Even if you're just here casually or maybe as a guest, I don't want you to fail. There is hope. So we want to bring this forth. Turn to Second Peter 1. We want to bring out these things, these signs, things that tell us what's going on. Speaking of the last day, there are many signs, many signs that God has given us. Just as you travel down the highway, you have signs on the highway. You, you wouldn't get where you were going without signs. Or maybe a computer. You wouldn't know where you were going. If the states of the union didn't put up signs and tell you when to turn or what road to take, how would you get where you're going? You would just drive down a road. It's a good road. Well, at least I'm driving. <laughs> what good is it to just be driving if you don't know where you're going? If you're not going somewhere specific where you have to pay attention, you have to make the right turns, and you have to be aware of this and all the dangers around you, if you don't do that, how will we ever get there? And let's face it, if you were driving in some congested areas of our country, like our capital, Washington, D.C., I don't know how any normal human being can drive anywhere over there. I've been in Boston before, been there several times. I wouldn't drive in Boston because I wouldn't know when to go and stop. You know, I just, they come to those round, what do you call those things? Yeah, you come to those things. If you do that, they'll all keep going. You're standing there for a half hour doing this. My buddy Larry once drove there and, and he just pulled up to a stop. He stopped it and took off. Said, ah! He said, that's how you do it. I said, all right. All right. I, said, I quit driving like that. But the point of it is, God, too, not only warns us of dangers in our life and how easy it is for long-standing members of churches to miss it or to get weary. And as you'll see, one of the signs, they'll fall away. 
it happens all the time to people. As you look back, how could that have happened to this one or that one or this one or that one? But it did. They not only left to say, well, I want to do something else. They don't even go anywhere anymore. They profess nothing. It's like it was all thrown out the window. So you can sit here, have it made clear to you, and never get there. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I think one of the purposes of church is bringing the people together, not only to you to be edified and to be blessed and to be encouraged, but also to realize the dangers, the warnings that God himself makes, as well as the signs that are all through history, especially, especially in the last days to that generation, the signs of warning that you better heed. And almost nobody heeds them anymore, but somebody will. And that somebody is going to be you. In 2 Peter chapter 1, in verse 8, he says, For if these things be in you abound, they make you that you neither be unwise or unfruitful in the things of God. Well, he's talking about growth, growing. Add to, add to, add to. This is your growth. It's really important to God that you advance spiritually. It is only possible as God supplies the advance. But it's important for you to grow. If we are not growing... If we're only members and we're just attending, here's what he said, verse 9, and you know this, he that lacketh these things is what? He that lacketh these things is blind. He that lacketh these things. Now, let's make it simple. Lacks what? Well, growing things, essential things. Add to, add to, add to, add to, add to. Your life must be characterized by a change with the addition of this, addition of this. You're becoming this. You, got, you know, God in this, patience, faith. This is what we're after. The change that pleases God. Now, if you lack these things, it's probably because you've closed your eyes to them. Or you're not ready for that. That's too much. And I don't want to give up this. I don't want to give up that. And... You know, what about my reputation? And, uh, and so we begin to shut our eyes and not really pay attention. And God is not mocked. If you don't want it, he doesn't have to give it to you. Amen? If you've already set a standard for your life, your personal life, this is what I want, this is what I will do, but I won't do this or that or thus or so. If God said this or that or thus or so, and you say, well, I don't think I want to do that, you won't go anywhere. Because God alone is able spiritually to close your eyes so that you can't see anything right. You remain a member of a church. You can still do that. You can still preach if it's a preacher you're talking about. But you'll never advance in the direction that God wants you to go because you don't want it. So you become blind. Blindness in the Bible, I went through a lot of scriptures this week about blindness. It's almost like I'll preach the whole sermon this morning on blindness because it's an awful thing. Spiritually blind means that you can see something, but you can't see what God sees. You hear something if you're dumb, uh, like, you know, unable to speak or deaf. You hear things, but you can't hear what God said. How easy it is to hear what man says or what error says or what something else says, but you can't hear what God says. There's some kind of a wall in there. You can't see it and you can't hear it. All you can do is criticize it or complain about it, but this is what happens. And so he said, 
he that lacks these things is blind. He's blind and nearsighted. He can't see afar off is what the word means. If he can't see afar off, what is he looking at? He's looking at only things that are close to him. He lives for the present. This is the person who lives in the right now. Well, you all can talk about all your tomorrow and the coming of the Lord. They've been talking about that forever. Right now, I see this. This is what I'm going to do right now. Well, I'm glad you have a heart to do something right right now. But what good is all your efforts going to do if you don't reach the goal? What is it, Lord? What do you want us to do? He said, well, you will find out as you grow. Now, I believe that. As you add to, add to, add to, add to, and as you begin to grow and spiritually begin to increase and expand, God will also show you things to come, because he said he would. But he said, a man who lacks this, a man who's living a stagnant Christian life, he exists in some religious atmosphere, a church of choice, and is just trying to make a better person out of himself or herself. He said, the man that lacks growth, man that lacks this work of God going on in his life is a blind man. And if he's blind, well, he's going to stumble. God's complaint about Israel before they went into decline in the days of Isaiah and his prophecy Here's what Isaiah said about the leaders in Israel, the religious leaders whose purpose it was to bring information to the people, or as Ezekiel said, to make distinction between the clean and the unclean, to show the people what was right and what was wrong, and to don't let them forget it. He told Jeremiah, you're going to tell them this, and because you're going to see such opposition on their faces, he said, I'm going to make your head like flint so that you won't be deterred, but they don't like me. He said, nobody's going to like you, Jeremiah. (laughs) And a whole bunch of people, a whole nation said, they will not give heed to what you're saying. They won't like you. You're going to feel like a constant failure. You're going to be challenged to even think if you're even called to do this. You're not going to have people like you. Nothing's going to work. They're going to complain. And all the time, you're going to be persecuted constantly. You're going to think that nobody loves you. You're going to live in a this way and that way, and it's just terrible. But Jeremiah had a heart to do that because he knew where he was going. And so he said... To those watchmen in Isaiah 56 and verse 10, he said, they are all blind. Let me just read Isaiah chapter 56. Let me read verse 10. He said, his watchmen are blind. His watchmen, the people whose responsibility it is, what does a watchman do? He warns, doesn't he? He's on the walls. He's on the walls of the city. People are sleeping behind him because they're confident that if something comes up, he'll let us know. But the watchmen are looking. But they can't see. Here comes the enemy. Here comes a wolf. Here comes all of this end time, last day, destructive characteristics that's going to ruin a generation. Here they come. And his watchmen 
have become tolerant. Well, you know, we're not supposed to be judgmental. You know, well, okay, they're not perfect, but <laughs> who is perfect? And then, hey, how you doing? And they begin to cozy up to this junk in the last days because they want to be loving people. And he said his watchmen are blind. They don't even see the enemy coming. Not only are they blind, what's the next thing he said? They're all what? Ignorant. That is never a compliment. They are all ignorant. They're all dumb dogs. What a word to call ministry. A dumb dog. It means dog can't bark. He should be barking. People should be alerted to problems that are coming, but, you know, there's no, no big deal. They cannot bark. Look, and sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. It's a time of leisure. It's a time of eat, drink, and be merry. It's a time of no problemo. It's just a time of, hey, man, hey, come on, man. take it easy. Quit pressing so hard. It's that time. They don't even see it. They're just allowing it. They're dumb dogs. But that isn't all. Verse 11, what does he say? People not only like that kind of stuff, they give to that. And these men know that, and they're greedy dogs, which can never have enough. They're shepherds that cannot understand. Uh-oh, they all look to their own way. People like that. People like that. And when these people begin to influence God's people, what happens to God's people? If it's pleasing to the flesh, if it's enjoyable, what will they do? They'll endorse it. They'll embrace it. They like that. That's good. It's the happy church or the fun church. Remember what Jesus said in uh, Matthew chapter 15? Because his disciples said, well, what about the Pharisees, Lord, about you know, all the things that he was saying? Shouldn't we love these people and go to them and, and try to, shouldn't we pray for the, the, these obstructions to Christianity? Let's have a prayer. Let's pray for them. Jesus never said to do that. You know what he said? He said, leave them alone. Now, we, in this society, in this age, we have a hard time with those kind of words because where's the love and all of that? And we think that whatever you do, first of all, it has to be a loving act. You know, we're not against that. But love doesn't mean you violate what God told you to do. Jesus didn't pray for everybody. Jesus didn't pray for them. You know what he said in John 17, who he prayed for? He said, I pray not for the world. I'm praying for those you gave me that they may be and so forth. Jesus said this about these blind leaders of the blind. He said, let them alone. They be blind. This is Matthew 15. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, they shall both fall into the ditch. How could they not? They don't know where they're going. They're blind. They can't see what God is saying. They can see right now what makes us feel good. It's all about me and self. What makes us to be the talk of the community? 
us and our programs, us and our, us and our, us and our. Maybe we should name the sermon the us and our hour. But this is what he's talking about. He said, leave them alone. Leave those people who are bent on destroying things, leave them alone. He said, if the blind lead the blind, they're all going to fall in a ditch. Well, shouldn't we pray that they won't? Jesus said, I pray for my own. I pray that you won't. Pray for you. Isn't that hard to understand? It's hard for us to grasp that. That's because there is a spirit, an antichrist spirit coming into this age that teaches us that tolerance is the most important thing. Tolerant of sexual perversion. Tolerant of sin. Tolerant of everything. We should draw no distinction between because words of love and making people feel bad about their lifestyle. You start thinking that way, you've missed the point. God is holy. Our message is holy. The sting of holiness is for those that aren't holy. It hurts. It's a two-edged sword. God doesn't bring comfort to sinners. Did you know that? He brings a sword. He said he did. He brings a sword. Matthew 23. Would you look in Matthew 23? Jesus is talking lovely and sweetly here to the Pharisees, telling them how much he loved them. Here's a loving moment. Matthew 23, verse 16. Woe to you, you blind guides. Because he loved them. <laughs> Woe to you, you blind guides. Verse 17, you fools and blind. Verse 19, you fools and blind. Verse 24, you blind guides. Verse 26, Thou blind Pharisee. What is he saying? Think about it for a minute. What is Jesus saying to the Pharisees? Your guides, your leaders, people look at you to see what it should be like, and you're blind. You don't want to know the whole truth, he said. They don't want to walk the way that God has. They have a way of doing things. They amplify their little tithing systems and they give tithes of all that they have and they do this and they do that. But they leave out the rest of it. They don't see it because they don't want to see it. And if you don't want to see it bad enough, you won't be able to see it because God will say, okay, you won't see it anymore. And he can do that. He said, you blind Pharisee. You fools and blind, you blind guides. Could such statements still apply today? In this modern end time age, could the same things be said again today to certain people? It wasn't said to the members of the church. It was said here to the leaders, just like the watchman in Isaiah 56. It was to the leaders those that have the responsibility of representing God to the people, whether they be prophets or priests. That's the responsibility. That's what they're called to do. 
And he said, here it's the religious leaders that are blind. So as searching and inquiring people, then how exactly does blindness happen? Second Corinthians chapter four, Paul is writing to the Corinthians who have stumbled along the way. They were doing some things right, but they were doing a lot of things wrong. And he said in second Corinthians four and verse three, if our gospel be hid, would that be, they can't see it. Would you agree with that? If the gospel is hid, it means it's hid from those who cannot see it. Is it possible? Now, wait a minute. Is it possible that it is hid from people looking at it? Now, think about it. Is it possible that it is hid from searching studious people? They can't see it. Now, there's two reasons you can't see things. There's two reasons why revelation doesn't come from the word. One is because it's not time yet that God will cause certain things to be revealed in the last days. That's what he said to Daniel. Close the book until the time of the end. And he mentions the time of the end. Knowledge shall be increased. Men shall run to and fro. And then he will reveal the last end time truth. Or another reason is because of sin. The nature of man's heart is naturally to rebel against God. Paul wrote, we were by nature children of what? disobedience. We were by nature. Naturally, we rebelled against God. Nobody had to teach us to do that. We just did it without trying. That's why we had to be saved. And so he said, if our gospel be hid, it is hid from those who are lost. Would you agree with me then that the blind perhaps qualify as lost? I mean, I think we could all be blind to a lot of things that hadn't been revealed yet, so I don't want to just make it where you can't explain it. But there are people who probably don't want to really know, and they are blind, and they are lost. He said their gospel is hid, is hid to those that are lost. Verse 4, this is why, this is how. In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of whom? Them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. That means you're no longer blind. We're talking here about revelation, revealing, coming forth of what it means and what it says. You actually see what God is saying when your eyes are open by God to see it. But if you don't want to see it, if you're a complainer about, you know, well, I, you know, I was out there all over. If you're one of those, then chances are you'll see, you'll see just what you want to see. And you won't see what God is saying. You'll complain about that. And the reason that happens is, is the God of this world who tells you that's too much, it's too hard, it's too far, it's, it, that stuff is not for today. The devil who tells you that makes that pleasing to your ear, and you give the more earnest heed to that. And the next thing you know, you can no longer see what God is saying. You can only see your version of it or some man's version of it, and that's all you can see. 
and we begin to drift. We have been misled. That word means to cause to wonder. We know not where we're going. We just know we're going somewhere. <laughs> Hallelujah. But we don't know where we're going. Because there's a blindness that does that. And it's the work of the devil. The God of this world has blinded the minds of those who don't want to believe. The word believe not is a word which means to be unwilling to be persuaded. Uh-uh. It's like you saying, uh-uh. No, I, I'm not buying into that. I'm not buying into that. Now, when it happens in a church, when it happens in a congregation of people who have been taught that this is not for today, that doesn't mean that. What God said here, that's, you know, that was not for this hour. Well, that, you know, it starts taking away all the things that we should believe and say, well, you don't have to believe that. Could it be that when judgment begins at the house of God, like in 1 Peter 4, when judgment begins at the house of God, it begins with blindness? Is it judgment to be made blind? We can no longer please God because without faith we can't please him. And if we don't have faith, if we refuse to believe, then our eyes are not open. I think one of the worst judgments that I can think of now, because the Bible said judgment must begin at the house of God. I've thought my whole saved life until this week. What kind of judgment are you talking about? Are you going to kill them all? No. It has nothing to do with that. Judgment how? I mean, what way is the church going to be judged? Because we know in the last days there's going to be wheat and tares, good fish and bad fish. Judgment in what way, Lord? And I saw it. If they don't want to hear, if they don't want to live, if they're not desirous of God's way for life, then they won't see it. And that's a judgment that God can bring on the church. Could he do that? All right, go back to Deuteronomy, please. I should have told you to keep your finger back there. We'll come back to it. Deuteronomy chapter 29. Because you see, we want to see afar off. I want to know where I'm going and get ready to go. 29 and verse 4. I read this verse the other morning, and, and this couple with chapter 32 really got me fired up, got me going. Listen to this. He just told them all the wonderful things that, you know, he wants them to have, and then he said this. Yet the Lord has not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear unto this day. The Lord has not given you these things so that you can see and understand and comprehend and perceive. That's what the word perceive is, to comprehend. You don't get it. You heard it. It just doesn't register. You find yourself saying, well, I didn't get much out of that. You probably couldn't. What if I said, well, you couldn't get anything out of it? Oh, you'd be offended. Oh, we're getting us a new one now. We're going to get rid of that one and get us another one. Told me that I couldn't see because God didn't want to show it. Oh, I would too. It would me. Maybe not. Maybe he didn't want to show you this. 
See how ugly that sounds, but it's true. God himself said that he has not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear unto this day. I think there's four or five different times in the Bible it talks about having eyes to see and can't see, ears to hear and can't hear. And because you can't hear and you can't see what God is saying, you can't understand it. You hear it. Somebody explained it. But it didn't have any effect on you personally because, well, the only thing I can tell you is this. The author of Revelation is God. You cannot, by searching, find out God. Only God can reveal himself to people. It's a spiritual thing. If you could find out who God was without the assistance or the aid of God, then probably only the smartest people would be spiritual. And that's not true. But only God can give revelation. When you walk in that door to come into this room, when you stand in a place like this, as some of you will, the only hope, expectation that any of us have is that God will make clear to us what he said. No man can do that. No man is skillful enough to make you do what only God can do. A skillful man can explain exactly properly and completely the word of God, but without a revelation to your heart of that, you can't see it. You may academically put things together and pass a test, but you'll never be guided by this information because you didn't perceive it. You didn't understand it. And when something like that happens, we come to the end times this morning. Let's take what we've heard so far and go back to something I mentioned earlier about signs of the last days. When you see this, know this. Now, we're all familiar with wars and rumors of war and famines and pestilences. We know that. Those are the big signs. And let's take it personal to the church level, down where the church is, where we're sitting this morning, and make sure that these warnings not only are heeded by us, but the consequences of these warnings for those that don't heed them won't happen to us. And the first one I want you to turn to is in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Perilous times. How many times have you said, well, we've heard that before? Well, we have. We've all have. I'm going to add something today to this to maybe help us all see it a little clearer. As to why, see, as a teacher, I ask myself, why in the last days is it described as perilous? Because the things that God mentions here and signs of the last day have happened ever since man was created on this earth. There have always been traitors and heady and high-minded and evil men. That's always been. But he specifically says in in chapter 3 and verse 1, but this know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Now, I personally believe these are the last days. I really do. Two things make me think more than anything else, electronics and nuclear energy, nuclear power. No age has ever had both of them. No age. No age has ever had the ability to destroy 
nations on this earth as now exists by means of a computer. It's an unsettling time to know that people can blow your house up from the other side of the world by just pushing a button. All they have to do is make some preparation and do this. You have to go through airports now through a scanner. You have to take your shoes off. They have to examine you because of this end-time fear. People are afraid today. Never been a time like this. You don't know what's going to happen next. People die and get blown up and get killed all the time. Hatred and anger is everywhere in a mass bunch. I grew up just a couple generations ago. I don't remember all that. Some of you that are 50 on back, you know that it wasn't always like it is today. This is recent stuff. And because it's recent, the signs I see point to the last days. We better take heed to this. Notice, notice. He said, in the last days, perilous times shall come. The word perilous in the Bible means violent. It means wild, fierce. It it talks about times that are hard to bear, that are distressing times, grievous times. A time that you can't enjoy just whatever you want to because of the uncertainty about the well-being of your life or your job. Just like nothing is really sure anymore. Nothing is really certain except to the Bible thumpers who believe God is the same yesterday and today and tomorrow. He was good then. He's good tomorrow. He's good right now. So we're not going to worry about this stuff. Well, you are nuts. Well, I don't know. I don't think I am. But anyway, he said, verse 2, men shall be. There's always been men who are lovers of themselves, haven't there? But not on a level like today. Loving yourself is being promoted by everything. Be all that you can be. Do what you can do now with what you've got. Don't let anybody tell you what you can't do or what you shouldn't do. Why should I be bound to old, outdated traditions of Christianity when my life is vibrant and full and I have the world to pursue? Why should you tell me I can't do things I do or dress any way I want to dress or act any way I want to act? And so people start thinking like that. Well, do we have a right to do that? And everything began to change. Covetous, boasters. They ought to interview a professional athlete. That's all you got to do, put a mic in his face, and you'll realize boasters. Proud, my goodness. Blasphemers. You can just pick up most any magazine, book, newspaper, turn on a TV program, and you'll hear blaspheming. Disobedient to parents. Unthankful. Unholy. And then getting away from that. Without natural affection, that word natural affection means family love. Without love for family, without regard for your children or your parents. 
truce breakers. Every time a marriage breaks up, you got a truce breaker. Every time. False accusers. Incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good. Despisers of what? What do you say in verse 3? At the end of verse 3, despisers of whom? Well, if the end age is marked by a trend in society of despising those that are good, then what they must promote then is being bad and mean. Being some bulked up, bad act in somebody that is able to hurt people. Whoa. People emulate that. They like it. Whoa. Kids think if they're big and bulky, they'll be popular. Then they would have what they want. They would be noticed by this fickle, foolish age, but rejected by God. Because the things that men hold in admiration, the things that are great to man are abomination to God. God never called us to try to go out and impress the world with who we are and what we got. We're unprofitable servants in whatever we do. Listen to this. Not only did he say despisers of those that are good, but he said traitors, heady, high-minded, Look at this, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Your Bible say that or something like that? Lovers of pleasure. There's a premium put on pleasure more than is put on God. Now, there's always been people that love pleasure more than God. But sometimes to love pleasure means you demand that this can happen. Let me show you what I'm talking about because he goes on to deform religion by saying having a form of godliness, but they deny the power of it. My question is, how is it that this just suddenly happened in your all's generation? I grew up in the fifties. I grew up as a teenager in the fifties. We were as normal as you all are, but we had more restraints. There's just things you didn't do. I'm not going that far. While we were pretty rowdy, far too rowdy, we had limits. And today it doesn't seem like there's any. Why is that? What happened in the last days? Turn to Proverbs 29, verse 18. You see it's already marked in your Bible, but Proverbs chapter 29, 18. Where there is... No vision. What does it say? The people perish. Where there is no vision, what happens to people? It doesn't mean they perish all of a sudden, but the perishing process begins. Just like when Adam sinned, he didn't immediately die. He said, eat this fruit, you'll die. When he ate that fruit, death began. The process of death began to take place, and every day he lived was a day closer to death. Our physical bodies in the, this world are dying because of Adam's sin. But, back to what he said, where there is no vision, 
When people come to the place where they no longer have a vision, they begin to die. The whole bunch of them. How can this have happened, though, to people like us, Lord? I mean, how could this be? One translator says, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. Oh, amen. So if that particular verse was true like that, if that was a good proper translation. So when a person does not have something from God that God shows him or God shows him something and he quits heeding it or he doesn't heed it, he begins to be unrestrained, unrestrained, uh, loosed from any thing that holds him back, keeps him moral, for example. No, not anymore because he no longer has something that he used to have. Another translator says, where there is no vision, the people are uncontrolled. One translator says, where there is no living Revelation from God. The people cast off restraint and become uncontrollable. The people don't want to be controlled by anything. They want it their way, when they want it their way, as they want it their way. Nobody really cares what happens to anybody else as long as I get mine. And they get mean and ugly. They become unthankful and very unholy. It's an age that is coming. It said in verse 1, the last days are going to be like this. And I think the, the thing that happens is the revelation is gone. My generation, we were not a generation of holy people. I grew up in a church like the Christian church, and everybody had a, guys I grew up with had a church they attended at least once or twice a year. So we didn't exclude church from our lives. My mother made me go. I had to go. And I'm glad. But there was in all of us in that age, in that time in this country's history, when I was a, a teenager and a young man and through the first part of college, we all had a restraint. We had a common belief that there is a God that you don't want to sell that short. He is there. We may not be serving him, but we respect him and we regard him. When I was a boy growing up, everything was closed on Sunday. They called it the blue laws. You know why? Because it was the Lord's day. In an unholy society, it was still, they had that in them about God, that this is just something you don't, mess with. He's God. And, and just things you didn't do. We didn't sass our teachers. We didn't tell policemen where to go. There was a fear of God that kept us from doing that. And again, we didn't know God, but we knew enough about him as, and from just my ancestors up to my age. It was just the way you grew up. You just didn't do that. People didn't live together. We didn't have TV much in the early 50s, just to start it then. You could watch Flash Gordon, you could watch that, if you could see it. But there was no TV to turn on to hear people talk vulgar. 
use any four-letter word they want to. Hey, it's free country. You couldn't turn on a computer. They didn't have them in. That's an end-time invention. You couldn't turn on a computer and see two actors perform a sex act. You couldn't hear them use four-letter words describing how they feel in life. In the raunchiest day of my life, nobody sang music, they call it, it's not music, where they speak so nasty. When I grew up, get this, the Everly Brothers, you all probably never heard of them, the Everly Brothers. One of them just recently died. But the Everly Brothers had one of their songs banned, I think, in Boston. Wake up, little Susie. They had gone to the drive-in theater. You don't know what that is? Well, they used to have those. <laughs> Went to a drive-in theater and fell asleep. And all your friends said, yeah, ooh, la, la. I bet I, it, it was such a society that the idea that you would... Well, there's some kind of an idea this might have been something immoral. We're not going to listen to that kind of music. And you young kids, they would laugh because you've never heard morality. All you've heard is vulgar, nasty people talking about vulgar, nasty things, wearing what leaves no imagination. Beach wear today, and I can't, well, I do understand. Christian kids like to dress like that too sometimes. I won't even try to say what I've seen on the beach with my kids. I did. I see some things once I could not believe. This was 25, 30 years ago. But that was when it started. It was beginning. Corruption is coming to the world. During the Vietnam time, I was teaching school in the 60s, and people began to wear their hair down like this and act crazy on stage. And all of a sudden, it was funny instead of, oh, you know, when Elvis was doing all that kind of stuff, they wouldn't even show him from the waist down because he was wiggling. It was a suggestive wiggle. And now you watch kids dance today the way they dance with each other. There's nothing to wiggles out. This is the real deal. An age has become so corrupt that now when God says don't do that, there is this disrespect for God. It's a time like no other time. The society of the United States that I grew up in was entirely different than the one that is right now. Things begin to change. Things happen so much. People have lost that revelation. Kids have grown up in an educational system that has they've talked them out of that idea that God is to be revered. You're a God. Be your own self. Their parents quit church. They don't take kids to church. If they do go to church, they don't like it. I prayed recently at a table where a young man, I don't think he had ever been to church in his life. And when I got to prayer, he had to ask, what is he doing? This is the age we're in. I mean, it's the time that we're in right now, which has caused people to loose all the restraints. What's morality? Who says what's moral? Who is to tell me what is to me moral or immoral? If it's immoral to you, then that's your problem. But it ain't immoral to me. If I want to smoke a joint, Colorado doesn't think it's bad. 
If I want to smoke a joint and listen to loud music and dress stupid, that's not a good word. Let me say, dress uh, dumb. There's the dumbest dress I've ever seen in my life, ever, anytime, anywhere. Are these pants with showing their shorts up around their waist and the pants down here? They don't even look like pants. I watched kids playing basketball today. They look like they got dresses on with legs. You can see the top of their, their socks and then their shorts. But that's just a day. <laughs> well, I, you forgive me, but just the way it is. We're living in that time. And this has caused an attitude to come out that goes back. Listen to me. It goes back to Adam. It goes back to the spirit of the age and begins to be a mean-spirited, in-your-face, trash-talking time. And people no longer have a regard for decency and rightness. We used to fear God, even though you weren't a Christian. You just acknowledged that God was, and you didn't do things. You obeyed the laws. There's just some things you would not allow yourself to do, even in your unsaved state, because of the influence of you growing up. And it's gone. Except for you people, and in churches, our kids have no hope. If we don't pass on to our kids what God has given to us, they won't make it either. We may bring them in here, we can't get them in heaven. It's just like that. You take social breakdowns, which has brought the meanness and the indifference. And kids who used to have maybe a, a sweetness about things have become self-centered, self-serving, self-emulated, just want everything my way when I want. Take one of the great tragedies in the United States and in history is abortion. Abortion, 1973, Roe versus Wade. The governments, by a vote of 72, agreed, I think it was 72, agreed to allow abortion, and they tried to make it specific of when you couldn't and when you could and what part of a pregnancy you could and when you couldn't. And since 1973, we've had, as I've got on one of the websites, 56.984 million abortions, recorded abortions, in the United States since 1973. Let me make it round it off. 57 million. This country is 360, 70 million people. 57 million legally by a vote of the ruling body in our country has agreed that it's okay to take the life of a fetus because a fetus is not really a person. And I was a fetus once. And how in the world did I ever become a person? <laughs> Let me give you a couple statistics to show you the moral decay, the moral decline, which has brought about the unloosing of perilous times in our country, the ruining of people. On average, women give at least three reasons for choosing abortion. Three quarters of them say that having a baby would interfere with work, school, or other responsibilities. 
So if I'm involved in activities, in my sexual freedoms, if I'm involved in doing what I am free to do, and the consequence of it so often is pregnancy. Well, I don't want that because that just interferes with what I'm doing. Can you agree with me that's evil? But that attitude is accepted. It's okay. The government says it's all right. And we who grew up knowing that that's the most awful thing I've ever heard, the little kids say, it's all right. How could that be all right? Then they start thinking, maybe it is all right. Their parents don't really tell them that they shouldn't or don't tell them why they shouldn't. They just, well, maybe it's okay. Another one, about three quarters say they cannot afford a child. Then why are you messing around? Because of self-serving, self, 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 self. Me, my, mine, mine, I want. I just don't want to pay for the consequences. Another one, one half say they do not want to be a single parent or are having problems with their husband or partner. And so they don't want any children. We're not really getting along the way we should. I don't want any more kids. I guess the kid's fault. I guess the kid caused that. You think of all the little children born in this world. They didn't mess up your marriage. They didn't mess up your relationship. They didn't mess up your life. You brought them into the world. You brought those children into this world. It was all right with you. Listen, worldwide, across the world, 1,280,000,000 abortions. That's 20% of the current population on earth has been aborted. Half, more than half of the children born in America are born out of wedlock. There's a time in which there is no love of family. Don't love your children. Don't want that thing that's in me. Get it out. It's a tragedy. It's a terrible thing. People live together today. It's portrayed in the TV, single parenting, living together, sleeping around, sex in the city, whatever the other ones are. It's a lifestyle, kids. You ought to be doing it. The attorney general during Bill Clinton's presidency was wanting to pass out uh, things to keep pregnancy from taking place to the kids. We're encouraging it. Show you how to use those things. You're living in the day it's happening. That would have never happened. That teacher, that per they would have all been fired, shot, and thrown in a wadi dump 50 years ago. I'm just saying if you'll stop and look at the way it's supposed to be and look at the way it is, it ought to be horrible. <gasps> but then I realize it's happening everywhere. The Vietnam War was taking place. Then rebellion started burning down campuses. The flower children, Woodstock. If you're under 45 or 50, you don't remember Woodstock. But that was the game changer. That was the game changer when all restraints were thrown off. You're free to do as you please. And the music came and it was wild and crazy. 
and everybody thought it was funny. And they started piercing their body all over. Then they started painting their bodies and tattooing their whole body. Look at me. Look at me. <laughs> and if you get too close to read a tattoo, they'll smack you. Were you a pervert? No, I'm just trying to read that thing on your shoulder there. And it's an age we're in, a mean age, road rage, people being killed over 50 cents. I mean, I read some of these things. I don't have time to go through all these kind of things, but it's just so crazy. Movies. I mean, there's nothing left to the imagination. I could tell you my generation had gone with the wind, the movie. It lasted forever. And Clark Gable's one little line, he said, frankly, my dear, I don't care. But he used the D word. And I remember at that time, we all, did you hear that word? Today, we're so accustomed to hearing cussing that you'll just keep watching it because, well, you know, you're getting used to it. It's the work of the devil. You become a part of that. You become ingrained in that. That's okay. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I, come on. I looked at the other day at a site. A man was talking that somehow the Bible, you know how you look on a computer at, you want to look at a certain news item and over here is pop-ups. <clears throat> and one of them said something about the gay something. I thought, what do they say? So I punched the gay thing. And it was, well, this one talks and this one talks, this one talks, and this one, you keep going a Bible thumper was telling me it was immoral. Well, they came on air this other side using all kinds of bad words about this Christian and accused the Christian of being hateful. And I thought, him hateful? Did you read what you said? Homophobia? How about heterophobia? How about normophobia? How about right phobia? Are you fear of being right? Men marrying men, women marrying women in your generation. You know what they would have said years ago? A man wanted to marry a man, it had to marry him in his closet. You didn't do that. That was never heard of. Wasn't even allowed to be thought of. Now we're free to do that. Look at what you brought in our society. Look at what's happened. Now there's such hate, both sides. It's a tragedy. In the United States, nearly half of the pregnancies are unintentional. Wasn't really wanted to be. <laughs> Didn't want these kids. Half of the pregnancies are unintentional, and four in 10 of these terminated by abortion, 40% are aborted. Nothing to it. Do you really think that judgment is not coming on this country? Our movies, our literature, those who represent us by whatever music, the greed and the thievery that takes place in high places, the corruption that has come throughout the world probably began in America. We're the most known country in the world, the most 
advertised country in the world, the most prosperous, hardest working country in the world. And other countries want what we got, so they act like we act. Our educational system is falling apart. Our government, in case you didn't realize it, our government's been powered down for the last few years. It's not right for America to be such a strong nation in the world. We need to let others be strong. And so we're being sort of powered down in this country. And I think this is a part of the whole process. These are the last days. And, and when I see this, when I see this bigger picture of what has happened, it's because people don't have a revelation of Jesus Christ. I've remarked many times, Bonnie and I'll be driving somewhere or doing something, and I say, look at, look at the way they're acting. Or look at the way, usually, look at the dress it, or whatever. You, if that, I'm sure that couldn't be a dress because the waist is here, the bottom is here. It looked like a bandage. I said, can you believe that? Why would they wear that? And she just says, because they don't have a revelation of Jesus. And that came to me as a revelation this week that I've never had, what I just got to say to you here. The reason perilous times have come in the last days is because of the breakdown of society due to the influence of self. Everybody doing their own thing. They lost, they set aside that respect, that reverence, or that revelation of God, that he is to be respected. You were very careful in my days about taking the Lord's name in vain. Somebody always did, but not very many. And today it's common. Well, we're living in that day, and, and, and there's so much that's happening I'm going to close because I want to pick this up next week. But remember this, Romans chapter 1. Remember this as we close about perilous times, that these signs that we're telling you about are everywhere. They've been in your Bible since it was written. But at the end, at the very end of Romans chapter 1, Verse 28, notice, this is what we're talking about. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, he gave, who did? He did, God did. God gave them over to a reprobate mind. That's where we are right now in society. A reprobate mind to do those things which are not right. Because they're unrestrained. They're free now. They're free. We're free from religion. Look at verse 29. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. No, being filled with the unholy spirit, all unrighteousness. Read it. Fornication. Wickedness. Greed. Maliciousness. Full of envy. Abortion. Murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, verse 30. What's the next one say? Haters of God. As I read through that thing on the computer the other day, I realized this is a true expression. I've seen it as clear as I can see it of how people hate God. What he said about homosexuality, 
and how they despise it and spew themselves with all they've got to say that's not right. Did you know that Sodom and Gomorrah was because the people were not hospitable? It wasn't that they were perverted. Lot got to keep all the guests, and they did. Now, they wanted to guess too. Oh, Jesus. And he finally goes on to say they're backbiters, haters of God. They're despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents without understanding. They have no insight. Covenant breakers. Put marriage in there. Without natural affection, that's perversion. It's unnatural. Implacable, unmerciful. Who knowing the judgment of God that they which do such things are worthy of death. There was a time we knew that. And that restrained us from doing that. But this generation, he said, this time, they know that people that do that are worthy of death, but they do it anyway. There you have, in just a few verses in the book of Romans, first chapter, a description of not only what's going on, but why it's going on. And it didn't happen until the last days in mass. Now the question is, as we leave, what shall we do? Shall we tighten up ourselves and make ourselves to think a little more narrow? Nothing wrong with that. Do we leave tolerance to the community of saints where we are tolerant with each other? Not with our sin, but with God's forgiveness and work in their lives, of course. We're entering into a new year. This may be the last one. I don't know. This may be the beginning of 40 more. I don't know. I'm not taking a chance. I want to make sure every day I'm ready to go because I want to know that this that I've heard is what I must avoid, what I must take a stand against, must be my policy in life. I will not do that, promote that, be a part of that, or cooperate with that. If I have to join something where people act like that, I won't join it. And I certainly would be embarrassed to be a Democrat. The last convention, let me just say it, that's known. At the Democratic Convention. Remember they booed God? You don't remember that. You didn't watch it. Well, I don't blame you. They got to say, you want this? Boo! About the Christians trying to tell us, boo! I remember Bonnie and I watched that. and I said, I said you know what? They just signed some kind of an unseen certificate of death. I don't know how it's going to work out. But if that's the caliber, and it, don't take me wrong, Republicans ain't pretty clean people. Politics is what it is. It's people pleasers trying to please people. But boy, taking a stand like that, I think, my goodness gracious sakes alive. We're living in the last days. People don't think that was a problem. 30 years ago, that would have been printed all over the paper. And who brings division more than anybody else in the world? Newspapers, media. They're miracle workers. You know that? They can make mountains out of molehills. 
They can take things that have no good to be brought up and bring up stuff so as we can get us fighting and arguing what he said 30 years ago. And they'd like to keep stuff going because that's what people like to talk about, all the mean stuff. You're in the last days. Now, God help us to put our feet on solid ground, keep our eyes focused on the cross, and not let up. Amen. Amen. Father, in Jesus' name, bless your people this morning. Continue to open our eyes as well as our hearts to see what you're saying. And as you told Joshua, to have courage to do what you're saying knowing that you're leading us in a good way, a way we'll be blessed. As we approach our communion this morning, I want to thank you again for what Jesus did for us. He is still worthy of our best affections. Our most positive affections. He is worth all the agony, the pain, the judgment that we'll go through to serve him. He is worth it all because of what he did. Jesus, Lord, paid it all, and all to him we owe. And when sin had left a crimson stain in our hearts, he washed it white as snow. We receive your cup and bread this morning, Lord, in that kind of spirit. We ask you to bless this moment as we do that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.